You're about to listen to another Bonversation. If you like this episode, you can find more at johnlebon.com. Bonversations feature the most interesting and insightful people in the act realm and beyond. Every episode is made possible by people like you who value and support independent media. Now here's your host, JLB. How dare you! Okay, well today we're chatting with Canadian guest on Bonversations. He runs CanadianLiberty.com and he's done a deep dive analysis into some of these books that appear to tell us exactly what the people who run the show are planning to do. And what he has discovered will shake you to the depths of your miserable soul. Or will it? Are these people really the bad guys after all? Those are the kinds of things we'll be talking about for this conversations, episode number 27. Can you believe that? We're back. Episode number 27. I've got with me Alan from CanadianLiberty.com. It took a little while to get this all organized, Alan, and I appreciate your patience with the rebookings, but you're here now, and it's great to have you here for conversations. Yes, yes, John. Thanks very much uh, for the invitation. It's great to be here. So you run CanadianLiberty.com. This is a website that you've been running in one form or another for close to two decades. So tell us, what are some of the main topics that you focus on with the website? Well, when I first got started, I was very concerned about uh, the same things I'm concerned about now. But at that time, it was more to do with religious issues. And I was involved in in a Bible church. Maybe some people would call it a cult. And I was concerned about what the truth was. And my original name for my website was What is True? So I got into a lot of religious issues. It turns out that some of those religious issues perhaps had to do with the same power politics and religious engineering that we that we're still researching today. And social engineering, religious engineering, and manipulation of society and culture, and all of these things and propaganda about the end of the world and that sort of thing, apocalyptic messages in the culture and all of that relates back to when i was young and starting the website back then and i was also at the same time very concerned about the wars that were going on at the time after it was after 9-11 and i was very concerned about foreign policy i was very concerned about the way it was so obvious to me that they were deliberately getting involved and causing all this chaos overseas in different countries and I don't know how all your audience feels about that, but that's I felt very strongly at it, about it at the time. I'd already got into this, you know, the ideology of libertarianism. I'd read and been inspired by Ayn Rand's book Atlas Shrugged, for example. But I I sort of went further into libertarianism and the writings at, um, of Murray Murray Rothbard, a libertarian. And I was reading antiwar.com. It's a well-known website. And lewrockwell.com. And so I would get into all these political issues very strongly as well and just sort of try to cover things and express my point of view. It's not a pacifist point of view. It was an anti-war point of view. It's more to do with non-interventionism and not getting mixed up in interfering in other people's countries. And that was the point of view I had and still have. And there's a lot of insights from back then that I still retain. And I, I realized at some point that the conservative movement wasn't 
anything but pushing this just horrible things, I thought, torture policies and things like that, things I felt very strongly. So it was very much about values and right and wrong and morality. And I became disillusioned with the conservatives and moved towards libertarianism. And I I uh, got involved with libertarian party politics in Canada here as a way to express my concerns about overseas involvement, things that were going on in Afghanistan, and things that just the awful policies of our allies, torture, and all the issues to do with suppression of private property rights, bringing in these various um, smart growth policies and Green Belt Act and things that suppressed private property. Even though I wasn't, so 9-11 wasn't at the front of my mind, but at the back of my mind, some of my friends were aware of the the issues to do with 9-11. I was only starting to study it. I never, I didn't get into it very deeply. But that's when the website became more focused on politics and libertarian politics specifically. And I was, so I changed the name to Canadian Liberty, which is the current name which I focus on these. So I was involved in organizing the provincial Ontario Libertarian Party and the federal Canadian Libertarian Party. And uh, I was running as a candidate in, in many, like several elections, provincially, federally. It was a good opportunity to speak. I, I could just say what I believed. And it was just, it was just amazing that way. Said whatever I felt. And it didn't seem to make a difference because it didn't necessarily get a huge, big enough audience to hear you. But um, I'd go door to door even. I'd have leaflets and pamphlets. So some people would have heard me. And I was on the CBC once. And I was on um, once or twice. And then I was on the local stations for recordings or uh, CFRB radio or a John Oakley show um, a couple of times on certain issues. I would work on press releases and uh, things like that. So I got very into it. We ran, okay, so ran into a couple of um, Agenda 21 issues before I was even aware of what that was, um, before I could understand it. But I did it to help me understand at a deeper level eventually because, so for example, this, this issue was places to grow, which is smart growth. Uh, that was what an Ontario government called it. And... When I looked into these different environmental issues that were going on, I realized that there was all this, these private foundations were funding the, the legislation. The environmental legislation was, it was coming mostly from one, one lobbyist, registered lobbyist called Nature Ontario or Ontario Nature or something like that. And I looked exactly, I looked into it and exactly it turned out to be World Wildlife Fund, World Wildlife Fund Canada. That's who it was. And they were backing all this various, these various laws to do with the Greenbelt Act, to do with forests. That was back in the uh, 2000s. And um, smart growth and things like that. And so I could look right into, I could see the nature of it, that it wasn't just the government is bad and the corporations are, our business is good. And these sorts of uh, simplistic ideas that you get as a libertarian, and you have to really understand 
trying to understand reality, you sort of have to break free from the constraints of ideologies. These ideologies of Ayn Rand or even Murray Rothbard, etc., they're there to lock you in to a narrow type of thinking, so to, you can't see the whole the whole uh, truth about things. Sometimes you even feel like you're getting on the wrong side of some things. You're following principles, but you're not your own principles. You're not. It's not your heritage. It's not coming from your own inherent sense of right and wrong. And that's what you got to tap into. And so that's what I was always working on. I, st- I still work on that. Got to tap into what I really think, what I really believe, what I really want to say. And that's uh, always what it comes down to. And that way you can learn. And the information you learn, you can you can understand it better. And you can and you can use it for the to move in the right direction. So agenda twenty one eventually, like I wouldn't have got the idea right away. So it took a while, a few years to learn about that. I think it was to understand what that was all that stuff was about. I learned from Alan Watt mostly. I think he opened my eyes. I first heard him on the Alex Jones show, and I started learning a lot from him. I listened to all his his podcasts. Cutting Through the Matrix, read his books even, and he was the one who opened my mind the most. And there was no there was no equal. Anything else and was just sort of, uh, it. I mean, there were other, th- other programs afterwards, which I also learned from. That's true. But he was the one who got, who got down deep, started talking first time, I ever heard the details about Fabianism, Fabian socialism, about you know H.G. Wells and uh, these various authors, these globalist authors. About I first time I heard about geoengineering and chemtrails, and I looked up and there they were. And for some understood these things anyway. And it also connected with fluoride. It connected with GMO. That's another issue I've covered at my website quite well is fluoride. So if somebody wants to understand fluoride better, it's a shocking, terrible subject, but there's a lot of people who've worked on it over the years. There's been a lot of historical struggles over fluoride. It's crazy. Canada is a great example of this. Fluoridate, water fluoridation is just crazy. When you look back at the, after COVID, you look back on things, the way they behaved, the, the politicians when they they go. They when everyone uh, has a referendum against fluoride and they lose it, they they get mad, mad and they get all sort of anxious about it and they start ranting and raving, and it's just incredible. And you realize it's only after all this these genocidal COVID policies you understand why they act like that. So it's just decades and decades of poisoning people. This uh, oxen. It's really horrific. So a good book about that I read a, long, um, a while back was The Fluoride Deception. So it's excellent. It doesn't really tell you the, who's at the base of it, who's what the bottom of it all is, but really it's um, or the motivation. But it tells you all the garish details of the history of it, everything about the atomic bomb project, how it relates to that. It's like a big cover-up of, of everything. And how the farmers were going to sue them because all the destruction it did to the coming off the factories and uh, the world war stopped that because everybody got patriotic. But there's still 
they're suppressing the, the fact that all this hydrogen fluoride gas is floating around during the Cold War. They suppressed that. The media suppressed that. And that was, um, this is the most toxic uh, substance. And they, they put it in the water in, in very low, low doses. But to make you drink it, it's supposed to be, they say it's supposed to be applied to your teeth topically. Not, you're not supposed to ingest it. That's for toothpaste, right? You're supposed to apply it to your teeth. But it's the most reactive chemical and it's a huge topic it's just in itself. And it shows you so much about what's been going on. But as far as the intent, it was Alan Watts who sort of uh, enabled us to see that there was a plan behind this. Uh, another one of the books I studied was, uh, you know, Brave, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. And Huxley was a Fabian socialist also. He laid out in fictional form uh, the plan, the agenda. And it covers everything. So I've analyzed Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. And I've in depth and have analyzed Open Conspiracy by H.G. Wells. Also, another important one is uh, Between Two Ages by Zbigniew Brzezinski. So there's three examples of books. People can read those and they can be certain that there is an agenda. But there's a, they don't have to have so many theories and doubts and uncertainties about things. They, do, they can be certain and aware. And the more you're aware of things, and you have to you verify, verify things. You can verify things. You can find sources of information. What do you think is the agenda? If you could boil it down, I know there's a lot to it, but after 20 years of doing your research and publishing your website and going on different shows and handing out pamphlets and all the things that you've done, you've had a lot of time to get your your mind across exactly what's going on here. If you could boil it all down, how would you describe that agenda? Suppose you were talking to somebody who is relatively open-minded and they asked you, what's really going on in this world? What's going on with these politicians and corporations and policies and what have you? What would you say is the agenda? Where, where do you think they are trying to take the masses, take society? They look at it as a good. To them, it's good. To us, it would seem evil and crazy. And so evil and crazy is a way to describe it. So a world government, it, sound, it can be sold as something that sounds reasonable, but that's a nice way of putting it. So they want, but a more accurate picture of it is described in Brave New, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. So it's a bunch of sick people. They debilitate every human being. They prevent them from reproducing naturally. So they control the population completely. They initially start off by genociding a bunch of people. It's in the novel. Anthrax is even part of that, too. And so there's a 9-11 tie-in in some sense, and an anthrax tie-in, by the way. There's all sorts of parallels. But the sexualization of children is in the novel. Sex ed. And Julian Huxley, Aldous's brother, was founder of UNESCO. So And UNESCO knows all about that. And so the agenda is total control of humanity, reduction of population first. So it's a genocide first. And H.G. Wells described it also biological controls. That's the way he described it. And so these ideas have been discussed by these people for a long, for a long time. George Bernard Shaw, these various Fabians. The ordinary people are not 
aware of it, they've been insulated by their faith, by their religious beliefs they've been taught and held to, have not allowed them, I don't know why exactly, not allowed them to perceive that the elites had this agenda. So I don't think people even, most people in the 20th century, I mean, G.K. Chesterton was aware. I don't know if he spoke out strongly about these things. And C.S. Lewis was aware of these things. I don't know if he spoke out strongly enough about it. Maybe he did. But people, public, at least in a, in a, since the 70s or 60s, were not aware of these things. They didn't understand these things. I don't think people read Plato. So the ideas of Brave New World, it's the same thing as Plato's Republic. And Plato's Republic has the same idea, basically controlling people's diet to re- limit them, uh, controlling their reproduction, you know, to limit them. All of these things, uh, euthanasia, again, that's in, that's in Brave New World also. That's horrendous. And that's what you can see when they devalue human life with these policies they've gradually introduced. It's their value system competing with what we used to hold to and what people have got confused about. And I think, I don't know if we'll have clarity on some of these things. I don't know, but I I have clarity on what my value system is. And Alan Watt did also, and that's human life is primary importance and value. And what's happened with, in Canada and other countries, is this, Selling to people through Hollywood movies, for example, like um, Clint Eastwood's Million Dollar Baby, for example. Now, life is cheap, and if you know, there's all these reasons to to kill people. Throw that's part of treatment somehow. But we can't treat some for some reason. We can't treat cancer. These various conditions people have, we don't have there somehow. We don't have cures for everything. This is some some advanced society we're living in the scientific progress, but we don't have cures for all these diseases and illnesses, and we can't do anything for anybody. We have to kill them. And we have in Canada now, M for the last uh, several years, M-A-I-D, MAID, euthanasia. So somebody took our value systems, which some would say is the opposite extreme, just 10 years ago, and they flipped it on its head. And somehow that's okay to people, with it, you show a few movies and you manipulate them some with the media long enough and they adopt it. Or it seems seems that way anyway. I don't think so. So I don't think these things are acceptable to the public. But they're not even aware. They, I don't think they're aware of, of the extent of it. But euthanasia is part of the agenda. So all of this stuff requires degradation. It requires devaluation of human life. And the end result is total control. You have it like totally wrecked world, nature totally interfered with, with these people pretending to be environmental and with their mRNA and their uh, smart dust everywhere, monitoring everything, total insanity, attack on nature. So it's just total lunacy. Total control is total lunacy. And why do you think they're doing this? Whoever is responsible for all of this, what do you think is really motivating them? It could be a spiritual. I tend to think it is some kind of uh, 
spiritual source to this, some type of uh, whatever the theology of it is. Christians would say Satan. I don't know exactly. I don't think I, I want to, you know, pretend that I know exactly that there's some sort of evil that comes that is attacking human beings. So some something doesn't like human beings, and there could be a spiritual motivation, an evil spiritual motivation behind this agenda. That's that's a very that's a that's a real possibility. I don't know if it's necessary to have that explanation. I think as a people feel very compulsive about controlling others. They very, feel very compulsive. Maybe they're being programmed that way through abuse from their parents through generations to to be compulsively desiring control and power over others and fearing others and fearing losing everything. This is a huge planet. This we have vast resources. We have this these just poor understanding of how unlimited it, things are. There's there's no need for us to be slaving away, afraid of afraid of debt and afraid of being poor and all of this. This all of this this system we have is totally unnecessary. There's so much for everybody. There's there's something for everybody. So it's a it's a it's a designed control system. It's run by maniacs. And the people involved in it don't realize that most people that most people are involved in it they don't realize that they should just they need to look at the contradictions involved, and they'll start to see the contradictions. They'll start to understand that they can't they can't make sense of something. You know, for example, when you're at school and you ask, "Is the queen the queen of Canada?" and they can't they can't give you a clear answer. They say, "Oh, she's symbolic." Well, she's symbolic, but she's the, she's the head of state. But she has to sign, her representative has to sign every piece of the legislation. But how symbolic is that? That's not symbolic. That's real power. That's that's what the, our current constitution says. She's in charge, or he, sorry, it's now King, King Charles. So that's an example of a contradiction. They tell you it's a democracy, but the king is in charge. Okay, which is it? So there are plenty of contradictions. Another one is corporations. Is a corporation a person? How can a corporation be a person and everyone expect to have rights as individuals, as ordinary people? We know we're different from it. We're not a corporation. We're persons. We're, I mean, well, whatever term you want to use. We're actually individual human beings or men or women. So we're not, we're not corporations. So how can be the same thing legally? People should notice these contradictions and we should work to do something about these contradictions. And with COVID, everything just fell apart completely. So I hope I, hope I answered the question enough. I don't know. Well, what I was asking was, what do you think is motivating whichever people are behind all of this? What is driving them? And you said that it might be a, there might be a spiritual component to it. Earlier on, you were religious to some degree, and I still see some... Bible references on your website. Is that correct that you were in the church or you were religious to some degree earlier on? Oh yes, definitely. And I was yeah, I was very religious. I was into the Bible and I still reference the Bible. I still 
have a very strong religious sense. I don't hold a particular dogma. I try to keep it very simple. But, yeah, I reference a lot of ideas from the Bible. I think it's very important culturally. I think there's definitely a reality to a lot of the concepts in the Bible. I think when I'm talking about, you know, what motivates them, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to describe what maybe goes on in their mind. But people think in terms of ideals. But I think if you look at Plato's Republic, they're following these, what they think are ideals, perhaps in their minds. And in our minds, we might think they're ideals also. But I think it's like a sickness. I think it's like someone playing games. They want to make reality the way into their perfect shape and ideal. And it's just, it's not healthy. It's not not a healthy thing at all. It's a compulsion. There's nothing healthy about Plato's Republic. He starts, he asked, he started the question is, he can't even answer a straight question. The question is about justice. And he defines justice as having a perfect totalitarian dictatorship. That's justice. That's what he ends up spending. He doesn't answer the word justice the way we mean justice. Justice for an ordinary person is, uh, could we have some justice, please? You know, these people who um, have died and are suffering from the vaccine, could we have some justice, please? You know, we want justice. That's justice. Justice for a crime or a murder, right? A theft. But no, he means, they mean something else. They mean What's the perfect balance for the right people can just dominate everybody else and we can put the people in their place? So it's a sort of a sick, that's why we tend to use the term evil or satanic. And so I think religion is a huge part. No matter what our particular beliefs are, we have them or we don't. We're Christians or we're atheists or something else. We're part of, it's all being part of our upbringing. Things we've lost, and the things we've learned, and the things we we don't even know we've lost, have to do with religious, religious beliefs and religion. So, for example, in a school system, whether you believe it or not, so we used to say, the kids would say, in Canada, we'd say the public school system, they would say the Lord's Prayer every morning. That's how it was in Canada in the 1970s. You're saying the Lord's Prayer every morning. And... Part of that prayer is deliver us from evil. And so it makes a huge difference. If you stop saying that, for, there's some lame excuse was given to take that prayer out of the schools. People didn't vote on it. It wasn't democratic. They decided, oh, it's time, it's time to go. That's not fitting in with whatever, blah, blah, blah. They'll believe it, whatever we say. And they have some excuse for the media. And the prayer goes away. And people aren't saying deliver us from evil anymore. What's evil? People forget. They don't know. So you're not taught. You see, the thing that religion provides, and maybe it doesn't need religion to provide this, but that's what it provided. It provided a value system. You take the value system out from under everybody, and you get dictatorship and tyranny and evil. So evil, the motivation is evil. That's one way of putting it. What did you say in your chat with Abdefakeologist, and this is a rough paraphrasing, so please correct me if this is not fair representation of what you were trying to say, but 
you said that you wanted to help save society. Is that how you feel? Like society needs to be saved? Um, I hope I didn't put it exactly like that, but save ours. What I meant was like save our society. Yeah. I'd say what I mean by that is just very straightforwardly what's happening now. What the end, the end goal was to impose these types of totalitarian measures, which they're lining up for us, like digital ID and central bank digital currency, to monitor every single thing we purchase and to control our buying and selling all of this dictatorship and number of children we can have and things like that. And they commit all this corruption and fraud. And and so many people are aware of this, and some people still probably they don't understand. So I'm assuming a lot. But when they turned on us the way they did in 2020, in such an obvious way, where they're just ignoring everyone who has any criticisms of their COVID policies and measures, the euthanasia, the COVID euthanasia, special euthanasia policies they added on top of their other euthanasia, you know, necessarily people die. They're killing people basically through neglect and not treating them and suppressing treatments and all this. That's what I mean by society falling apart. Not an imaginary thing in the future that hasn't happened yet, but the stuff is happening now. When a hospital becomes a place of death instead of a place of healing, that's a value system turned upside down. It was different 10 years ago. It was totally opposite. So now you go there, you're not sure you're going to die, you're going to live. And they literally did not treat people. They refused to treat people. They had half-empty hospitals, had all that going on. So that's what I mean by society falling apart. And saving it just means waking people up. And I think people need to not give in to the psychological warfare. They need to try to make other people aware of what's really going on, not give up. And that's, that's how I feel about it. That's what I meant. What proportion of people do you think are capable of grasping some of these bigger picture issues. So for example, the idea that there is a group of people who do seem to have an agenda to lead society in a certain direction and that they are working together and they do seem to be achieving a lot of the goals that they've written about for decades, if not centuries. This is kind of like a bigger picture idea. What proportion of people do you think are capable of grasping these concepts? And of that group, what proportion do you think really care? based on your experience, because you've been doing this now for about 20 years and you would have interacted with a lot of people. Do you have an idea in your head roughly of what proportion of people really can even understand some of this stuff? Yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot, like Alan Watts always seemed to be skeptical about that, about the number being, he would have thought the number was pretty, well, I don't know. I remember one place in his books, he seemed to be optimistic. He seemed to, allow for the possibility that you just you a certain number of people you just need a certain number of people and that would be enough to prevent disaster so i think it's showing think covid events are showing that a large number of people are capable of understanding that there is an agenda at least half of those are capable of understanding that it's a long-term agenda so i think it's showing i think people's minds are going to open but i think nature these are i have a bias the other way i have okay so i i'm just expressing my bias i look at things more in terms of trying to achieve i'd like to believe that people are 
more open than they seem to be. I think a lot of the perception of things is coloring, is distorting our view of other people to make us think that A, these things are inevitable, that B, they're not capable of understanding things, that like the media, for example, the entertainment media that's dominated their lives has completely destroyed their minds, that that all the strategies they've used have, have just been completely successful and people are totally, you know, for thousands of years even maybe, they're completely and totally unable to understand what's going on in grasp. I don't look at things that way. I look at things like built into each of us, made by God, to heal, to function in a certain way. And when you have the right, you know, tap, tap, you tap, tap on the head, the right information, the right approach, you'll get through to them eventually. And that's what I believe. There are certain people, yeah, they might be, they're hard set, they might be, they're bad, their people are bad, they're not going to change, their motivations are bad, they're programmed, they're, they're set that way. But I mean, I think it's a large number, large percentage of the people are capable of becoming wide awake if the right situation, right things happen to them, the right message gets through to them. That's what my bias, that's the way I, I tend to believe. I think there's reason to believe that. That's the way we're not built to be demolished by these by these lunatics through their technology just to be dominated by them. It's continual effort to keep people in a trance. It's continual effort to keep them seduced. It's a continual effort on and on. If if that breaks for a second, people will just completely flip out and rise up. There's no, it's just a massive effort is put into this. It's completely crazy. Nature finds a way. So it may not be, it's not everybody, but it's a large percentage of people. Have you noticed that Canadians don't seem to be as active in the online discussions of some of these topics? So to place, just to use one example, fakeologist.com, which is where I heard of your work in the first place. You've got Ab the Fakeologist is Canadian, but he even made the point to you when he was chatting with you, there's him and then there's you and there's a couple other people who are Canadian who talk about these topics. But beyond that, there doesn't seem to be that many Canadians discussing some of these issues. Is this something that you've noticed as well? Do you think Canadians do seem to be a little bit underrepresented in this corner of the internet? As far as the fakeologist and your experience also, you're probably noticing something that maybe that uh, I think it's just a local thing. It may just be the numbers. The Canadians is uh, 35 million people or so. It's not it's not a huge population. Uh, people, Canadians, of course, are very involved in the uh, alternative media. There are a lot of Canadians, as I mentioned to um, Ab, there's a lot of Canadians involved in the alternative media. They're prominent, as same with in terms of comedians as well, as you know. But I mean, I could start. I don't want to start naming them because it's a lot of work. But <laughs> there are. I could list off Canadians involved in in uh, conspiracy theories and and media. David Livingston, I could go on and on, but and there are guests on the shows also. So I think it's just a function of there's only so many forums. 
that people uh, take an interest in that they can get into. I think that's all it is. I think I see a lot of Canadians involved on Twitter. Maybe Twitter's not the best place to be, but uh, I see a lot on Twitter and I see uh, a lot on Facebook. So I, I see a lot of active Canadians talking about these issues and we're in active communities. I'm not saying I'm happy with the numbers. I'm not saying that that's everybody, but I think people and also people's perception of things is distorted. They think there's all these people who disagree with them. No, I don't think that's how it is. I think people agree with them, but you're not finding out because you're not asking them. And it's just a random thing. Sometimes if you ask enough people, you'll find they're not, they're not vaccinated. They're, they don't want to get any more vaccines. They've heard these, this information from others. There's all sorts of people you're not here. People are not hearing from them. They won't get the media won't tell them what's going on in other people's minds. They won't tell them about the rallies that are going on. People have to find out from each other. And that's, there's this shadow banning going on. So people are in their own audiences and it's just being forced their own perceptions of things of other people. So it's, it's psychological warfare. Things, information has been sorted. Our perception of others is distorted. There's a lot of Canadians aware, awake, and involved. I wish it was more. I don't know what the percentage is. I just know there's a lot. Top of your website, Canadian Liberty, you've got an image of what looks kind of like Rocky Mountains in the background and the big Canadian flag. And that's sort of front and center of the website. And you do have obviously a Canadian focus with the blog because you are Canadian yourself. Do you know roughly what percentage of your traffic comes from fellow Canadians and roughly what proportion come from abroad? Well, definitely more come from the U.S. So that's been a disappointment for me. Yeah, that's the answer to that question. But uh, on Twitter, though, and Facebook, I have a lot of contacts who are Canadian, which I've been very pleased about. And there's a lot of active organizations, a couple of which I'm connected with in Canada, people, you know, networking with each other, preparing, uh, discussing things, sharing the same views. There's just a lot of activity going on in Canada. I guess uh, there's so much, uh, you know, competition in terms of alternative media and websites. So I look at that as my own, you know, it's up to me to do something to uh, improve that. Well, when I was going through your website and listening to your previous interview, I was taking lots of notes and I've got lots of questions that I want to ask you when we come back from the break. Let me just give you a little rundown of some of these dot points that I've got here. You looked into this book, The Open Conspiracy by H.G. Wells, which was published about 90 years ago, thereabouts. You seem to be of the opinion that H.G. Wells and others were openly telling the masses what they were planning to do, and they seem to have been fairly effective at putting a lot of these plans into place. So I want to ask you about, do you think it's possible that these guys, in their mind, they're actually doing the right thing by the masses, they're doing the masses a favor? And this is a discussion that's come up a lot with different people that I've, that I've chatted with over the years. I used to think, oh, these guys are evil and they're nasty and, and whatever. Now I think to myself, well, if they're telling us exactly what they're planning to do and they're doing it and no one, almost no one really seems to care, at what point do we start to wonder who's really the bad guys? Do you know what I mean? And that's a very big discussion that we don't have time for on this side of the break. But on the other side of the break, I want to come back and talk about that. You mentioned a lot of interesting things about chemtrails, fluoride, euthanasia. You were on the CBC. I want to talk about that. That's interesting. We'll talk about 
uh, your appearance on the John Oakley show, who I didn't even know anything about this guy, but I looked him up and apparently he's kind of like a, what would you say, like a conservative commentator? He's kind of appealing to what you might yeah. call the conservative audience in Canada. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then the agenda, because you've got a whole thing about the, the Georgia Guidestones on your website, including a PDF that I've never seen before from the people who built the Georgia Guidestones. And they go into a lot of detail about who built it, how they built it, the messages on the Georgia Guidestones. I've never seen this before. It's fascinating. So I want to come back and talk about that and so much more. But for this part of the call, which is heard by more people because it's public, what can you tell the listeners about CanadianLiberty.com and what you do with your Twitter and the other social medias that you have? What can you tell the listeners who are just hearing you for the first time who might want to go and check out more of your work? Yes, well, CanadianLiberty.com. I focus on, I try to explain what the agenda is and I try to fo- you know, focus. I like certain issues more, such as the topic of propaganda and social engineering and how society's been influenced by culture and how people have been manipulated into false beliefs and participating in this agenda, including the COVID agenda. And one of the things I, I try to focus on is finding a way to deli- sort of deliver the information to people that would help them become aware of what's going on with the mRNA vaccines and, you know, how dangerous they are and how wrong euthanasia is as a policy and just trying to do something to wake people up to these things and uh, to prevent smart cities and digital ID and that sort of thing and a controlled currency. All of these things we need to warn people about and that's what my website tries to do. Excellent. CanadianLibby.com links in the show notes to that website, to the Twitter, and to a couple other socials as well. I'll also put a link to the most recent edition of his PDF journal called Power and Reality Journal, which I've got some notes here that we'll talk about in the next part of the show as well. But that does us for the official conversation. We'll come back for the post show in just a minute. Thank you very much, Alan, from CanadianLibby.com. For this part of the call, I want to give you the final thoughts. So the floor is all yours. Thanks, John. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak and share my thoughts with others. I think that um, it's very important for people to make themselves aware what is happening to them, what is being done to them, how they're being seduced, how they're being programmed, to go along with things they shouldn't. What people need to do is they need to tap in to their instincts, to their natures, to perceive contradictions, to use the reason, need to switch off the programming, they need to get excited about things, need to get angry about things, interested in things, learn about things, have confidence in themselves, believe in themselves, believe in truth and reality. That's what I feel that people need to do, and they need to share that confidence and knowledge with others. And that way, we can salvage the future from this mess because what we're headed into is just a huge mess what else would criminals create but a big mess you can't just go along with these things i don't doubt that there's people that we we are disillusioned with we should be disillusioned with but there's also a lot of potential with people you know we put a lot of effort into this life some of us raise families You might have noticed that not everybody intended to raise family has raised a family. That's not an accident. It's engineered that way so that 
some of us had other things to focus on instead of raising a family. And why would you raise a family? To raise a family in order to have a future. So you now you've been told a lot of stories about how the world is overpopulated. It's because those are stories meant to stop you from having a family. Family means stability. Family means security. Family means you don't need some lunatic lording it over you. So our minds have been messed with. Just tap in what our real nature is, the way we were made to be. And you use that power and that confidence to share information with others constructively and build a future. You've been listening to Bonversations. Find more episodes at johnlebon.com. We appreciate and thank all of the supporters who make this possible. Now have yourself a lovely day. It wasn't a tent. It was this magnificent thing. How dare you?